Welcome back to Better in the Second Half podcast, your no BS guide to stepping into the best years of your life with tactical tips to feel better than ever. I am your host, Tara Gillen Petrosi, and today I have an incredible guest on the podcast for you. If you're new to Better in the Second Half, this is a platform that is dedicated to helping you embrace your true self and live your life with more purpose, vibrancy, health, and joy at any age. And today's guest is living proof of just that. Diane Bondi is an author, speaker, educator, equity advocate, podcaster, and a yoga instructor who believes that all bodies can find a home on the mat. She has a massive social media following in the upwards of hundreds of thousands, and her dedicated fans follow her for her realness and wisdom, especially when it comes to hot topic issues. She is a fountain of knowledge loaded with goodness and has a vivacious energy that you can't ignore. I am so excited to share her journey with you. But before we dive in, let's quickly talk about building healthier habits. One of the biggest reasons people don't see success in a new health routine is a lack of simplicity and convenience. It can be so challenging to break old patterns and make your wellness a priority, especially if it has a lot of complicated steps. You guys hear me talking about the importance of your health a lot, but one of my favorite and easiest recommendations to start feeling better faster is hands down the Modair Axis Vitamin OptiPack. This is nutraceutical science in its simplistic form, a vitamin system that is individually packaged to make it easier than ever to build a healthy routine, even when you're on the go. With 30 crucial nutrients your body needs to thrive, this easy-to-take system contains a powerful multivitamin, antioxidant and adaptogens, vitality complex, and omega complete. They're all carefully curated to work together, and this powerful combination can send reinforcement to your major body systems, including cardiovascular, nervous, immune, digestive, and skeletal systems, while helping manage stress and balance your mood. With a price less than what you would spend on your Starbucks order every day, this is one product you do not want to skip if you are on a health and wellness journey. Check out the show notes for a direct link to this product and an exclusive discount code from yours truly. And now, on to better in the second half and today's incredible guest. I know you all are going to love her just as much as I do. Diane Bondi has been leading a yoga revolution for over 20 years. Gone are the days of yoga being a practice for the privileged, wealthy, thin, young, flexible, white, and able body. Diane brings back the fundamentals of a true yoga practice, which is to be present, grateful, and honor your body regardless of shape, size, ethnicity, or ability. She is the author of Yoga for Everyone and co-author of Yoga Where You Are, is a speaker, educator, equity advocate, podcaster, and a social justice advocate with thousands of followers from all around the world who benefit from her content. She's also a downright awesome human being and a woman that I can now call my friend. I am so excited to share her journey with you and I am beyond honored to welcome Diane Bondi to Better in the Second Half podcast. Woo! Thank you, Tara. You're so kind. Welcome. I'm going to need to take a breath after all of your achievements. Oh, dear. I've been <laughs> on the planet for half a minute, so <laughs> I'm a little bit older than you, so yeah. You're there. You're on your way. Older, wiser, and more fabulous, girl. This podcast is called Better in the Second Half. Second it's about half. getting better in the second half of life. True story. True story. And it does get better, folks. 
I know we like to mourn our 20s and our teens and all that kind of stuff, but getting older is a privilege and you learn so much that you can apply to the second half of life that makes things sweeter and better and just more fun. So I think embracing aging is the best thing that we can do. Say it louder for the people in the back. (laughs) Diane, I am so excited to have you here. Why don't we get started by telling my listeners who may not know you a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Oh, oh, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mom. I'm a business owner. I'm a yoga teacher. I teach Pilates. I do public speaking. I've written a couple books on yoga. One of them is Yoga Where You Are, and it really explores yoga for all kinds of body shapes and sizes. And it explores a lot of the poses that people feel compelled they want to do, the kind of the more acrobatic poses, as well as the more simplistic poses as well. And it gives you, for me, it gives me a rounded perspective of what yoga can do for me. Not only the asana, which is what is mostly Western yoga is distilled down to. If you're taking it in North America, we only really focus on one limb of the practice. But my book, Yoga Where You Are, helps you to apply yoga to everyday life. Like, you know, connecting with the bigger energy, being of service to others in the community, supporting others, standing up for justice, all the things that we want to do to promote intentional well-being and to be in community with others and to uplift the world. I've also written the book, this is my solo project, Yoga for Everyone. Both of them are Penguin Random House. And that's a true beginner. If you've gone to a yoga class and you don't know what folks are talking about, or you're rediscovering your practice from, you know, an absence on your mat, or you've never done yoga before, and you're interested to see all the different ways that you can do yoga, this is the book for you. It really looks at people with every ability coming to the mat, doesn't matter your age, your size, what you have going on in your body, there's a practice for you that can help make your life more enlightened. And you know, I like to say fabulous. And if you're coming to this yoga in the second half of your life, it can make it better. But I guess I do a lot of things. I'll have a lot of intersections. So that's me. (laughs) I love that. How did your yoga journey begin? How did you get so involved with yoga? How did you fall in love with the practice? When were you introduced to yoga yourself? I have been on my mat for 49 years. So for a really long time, I got introduced to yoga when I was three years old. So y'all can do the math. When my mother, who was a new immigrant to Canada, had three kids under the age of four, and my dad went off to work and my mom was home raising the three of us. And she didn't have any help. She didn't have any family. She wasn't really connected to the community. And when she was studying nursing in England, she managed to pick up a book called Be Young with Yoga. And this was a book that just had some really interesting pictures and poses and a little bit of yoga philosophy in it. And so when my brother and sister, who are twins, would go down for their nap, her and I would practice. So it was kind of like a mommy and me thing that we did. And we would open the pages of the book and we would pick out poses and then we would try to do them. And so she spent probably about half an hour a day doing that, which I understand now was kind of her self-care and the way that she could probably tame a precocious three-year-old because I do have the gift of the gab. So this was some way that she could get a little bit of me time and a little bit of us time. And at the end of our little practice, she would often give me like a treat. And then I was kind of expected to be quiet for 30 minutes. She would give me like a sucker and tell me, you got to make the sucker last 30 minutes because at three o'clock, General Hospital would come on. (laughs) This is the 70s. Okay. 
General Hospital, come on. And it was a half an hour show in the 70s. And so I had to be quiet. She would show me the clock and go, okay, from 3 to 3.30, you're going to focus on your sucker. And that's kind of how I learned to meditate. Like I really had to draw the sucker to last for half an hour because, you know, I'm free. These are things that three-year-olds don't do really well. So she was teaching me in a roundabout way how to meditate. But that's how I first came to the yoga practice. And it's just served me my whole life. I just continued to practice. And then I became more involved in meditation. And once I made peace with myself through the practice of yoga, I wanted other people to feel that peace. So I started teaching publicly and, you know, opened my own yoga studio, started teacher trainers, how to teach and how to teach to all kinds of body types. Because the first time I went to a public yoga class, I was, I think, six weeks postpartum. And that was my first jump back into intentional movement. And I was pretty much body shamed at this yoga studio. And so I decided that I wanted to open a space where people of all sizes, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all abilities could feel safe. And it, it didn't matter that you didn't look like an Instagram yoga model, or you didn't look like the front of yoga journal, that yoga was for everyone. And I really wanted to share that for people who were maybe nervous or intimidated to come to the practice. I really wanted people to see that somebody that looked like them practiced yoga and that this was for them. And that's kind of how my journey evolved from a three-year-old to somebody who's been on their mat for most of their lives. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting that as an adult, you can go into a place and feel like you don't belong there. And it's something that you've been doing since you were three. Oh, yeah. Especially when the teacher said to me, have you done yoga before? You know, this is going to be hard. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking. I've probably been doing it longer than you've been alive, but I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. You do you, I'll do me. And uh, yeah. Okay. So I didn't know this story, but leads to the next question I was going to ask you anyway. Why do you think it is so important to create more inclusion in the yoga world? Because it is a practice for everyone that has been commodified and linked to beauty and a fitness standard and ideal that doesn't actually exist in the real world. And it's a tool like here in North America, we really distill it down to the physical practice. Most of us believe that yoga is just getting on your mat and doing fancy poses. But yoga is an eight limb practice. And the first one of the limbs is a yama, like an observance, a set of like ideas or guidelines for how to live your life. And the very first tenet that we learned in yoga is nonviolence or non-harm. And that's something that we can apply to ourselves, right? Because we have been taught in the world that we're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. This isn't for us. You need to be quiet. You need to sit down. And all of those are, in my opinion, harming to people when we tell them that they don't belong or this isn't for them when it actually is. And to go into a space that looks very homogeneous tells people who don't look like the people in the space, it's not for them. And literally the word yoga means unity. And if we cannot unite people, regardless of our differences, to come to a place where we can be in community together and recognize other people's humanity, then what are we doing? That we're not uplifting people. We're not actually practicing yoga. Yoga is to raise our consciousness. Yoga is so that we are kinder to each other and the environment. Yoga allows us to move our bodies so that we can find joy and, you know, age successfully, that we're able to maintain our independence longer. It helps with proprioception. It helps with mood and depression. It helps with so many things. And that should be something that's available to all of us, not just some of us. Yes, absolutely. I feel like you just 
hit the nail on the head with the benefits of yoga and why it is such an amazing practice for anyone and how everybody should be incorporating yoga into their life, not just for fitness, but for that emotional well-being, that consciousness, that awareness of others, the respect factor. So I just love all of that. When you're creating your yoga classes, what is your biggest inspiration when you're in that creative element? And you're starting a class. I'm starting a class. My biggest inspiration is to draw people into a space where they can relax and feel like themselves. So what's really funny, especially when I teach at the gym, uh, you and I teach at the gym together, when I teach at the gym and people are like running up the stairs and like sprinting to the yoga room because they know in three minutes the door is going to be closed and they're not going to get their practice. I really take that upon myself to bring them into that space after they've rushed to get there and bring them back to their breath and bring them back to their bodies. Because we are often having an out-of-body experience as we're moving through the world. We're sometimes not even conscious of what our body is doing as we move through the world. So my inspiration is to have people, A, feel better after they leave than when they first came in, to help them reduce their stress, to help them know that whatever they do in the class is exactly what they need. You know, I'm a big fan of Louise Green. It's Big Fit Girl. She's a plus-sized yoga, uh, pardon me, fitness coach. And she often says when she's teaching, you know, our fitness or our movement practices, our intentional movement practices is not an all or nothing practice. It's an all or something practice. And I want people to come in and feel like they can move their body in a way that feels good to them, that they're not competing with anybody else, that they get to show up authentically as themselves, and that we move together in a way that inspires us to feel better and to move out into the world and continue that energy out in the world where people feel empowered and good about themselves not defeated because they weren't able to do something, but celebratory because they were able to move their bodies in a way that made them feel better. So that's usually that my inspiration. Let's just move our bodies and take a moment for self-care. Let the rest of the world kind of fade into the background for the next hour or however long we're on the mat and just really pay attention to some very specific self-care. So that is what I'm hoping for. And I'm hoping when you feel better in your body and better about yourself, that you'll go out into the world and want to share that and want to be more active in making sure that we're all included in humanity. I'll have to say, I totally feel that whenever I do your classes. I've been practicing yoga for a while, but I've always felt this element. I'm not flexible at all. So it makes me feel, oh, I'm not good at yoga because I'm not flexible or can't do those poses. And I will say, whenever I do your classes, you have a way of just letting people be where they are Mm -hmm. and being proud of what their body is capable of, which I really appreciate because even for me, and I've been practicing long enough where you'd think I'd be getting better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But you are getting better. Yeah. You're more aware of your body and all of our bodies are just built differently. Our bodies are thousands of years of evolution and ancestry that has been distilled down to this perfect vessel that has been created specifically for you. And I think we need to celebrate that. And again, the amount of people who say to me, well, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible is a misnomer. You do not have to be flexible to do yoga. Yoga will increase your flexibility. Will you be able to do the splits all the way to the floor? Probably not. (laughs) No, it's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen because there's a lot of genetics that plays a role in that. So when you see hypermobile people in yoga classes doing all these really bendy things, know a large part of that isn't necessarily consistent practice, but genetics. 
So at the end of the day, when you leave that practice or that if you feel better and you feel stretched in whatever way you feel stretched, then that's the practice. You are getting better. You're getting better at acknowledging this is where my body is at. This is what I'm capable of doing. Some days it's more, some days it's less, but overall the practice is feeding my soul and my mind and so much more than just my body. Yes. And being proud of where you are in that moment. Absolutely. Okay. Another reason why I absolutely love your class, which I have to ask you, you always have the best playlist. (laughs) Thank you. Which I am a big motivator. Music has always been a huge motivator for me, especially when I'm doing something fitness related. And I want to talk about like, how has music evolved your practice? Because you're so methodical with your meal, like everything you do is for a reason and with purpose to inspire. So how has music affected your practice for the better? I love it because sometimes I need a little bit of escapism. So sometimes my practice is like, I just want to get out of my head and into my body for a little bit. And I just want to do something that feels joyful and intentional. So I pick my playlist is really for me, it's a little bit selfish. I pick all the songs that have a message of inspiration. And often if I choose like a series of love songs, because I do pick both contemporary music and traditional South Asian music in my practices, it just really depends on, you know, what the theme of the practice is. So for example, today I'm teaching and it's a sweat and surrender, meaning we're going to do a vinyasa flow and then we're going to move into a yin practice. So the second half of the class is going to be working on hamstrings, hips, and low back flexibility and mobility. So I want some sweeter, kinder, slower music. So I often will pick a playlist of really sweet love songs. And I will ask my students to have this playlist be a love song to your body or to yourself. And then the first half of the class where I want it to be active and fun, I try to pick songs that maybe might have been from a time in your life when this music was kind of fun. Maybe you were hanging out at the club and getting something done, but it also still has a message of take care of yourself, be in your body. So I am very particular about my playlist and I create a new playlist every month. And I usually play that whole playlist for the entire month. And then I create another playlist for the next month. But I have two for the two class, different kind of yoga classes I teach. But I want people to feel at home in the space. And sometimes when you hear the familiarity of a song that can make you feel at home or when I'm like killing it on the step machine or out running, there'll be a song that'll come on a playlist and that will pick up my energy or take me to a place where, you know, I'm happy. And I really try to find that happy music so that people are connecting with their breath and their body and the music in a way that just feels joyful. And that's really what I'm trying to accomplish with a playlist. And again, filling in all of my favorite songs. And I say that sometimes I am going to torture you with my favorite songs. (laughs) And people will often say to me, I love your playlist, because maybe it stems from a time when you know, you were in school, or you were at a birthday party, or like anything that anything could be a yoga song, but it also has to have a particular meaning, right? It has to have some energy that is hopefully going to inspire you through meaning and through just sheer joy. Yeah. And you do such a great job at your classes are so enjoyable. Thank you. So since we are, we do work together. We've both been in the health and fitness world. And we know a lot of people will come to us because they either want to lose weight, they want to get better shape, or they want to work on their body composition. And I know even for myself personally, this was how my fitness journey began. But now it has just evolved so much more. It's more about my mental health and staying physically healthy and strong. And it's 
not necessarily about how I look on the outside, but how I feel on the inside. So although it's great to have fitness goals, what would you say to somebody who wants to start a new routine just so they can quote unquote, lose weight? Yeah, I don't subscribe to any of the weight loss kind of diet culture kind of things that are out in the world that can be detrimental to folks. I suffered with an eating disorder for the better part of 30 years. And it was only after I made peace with the fact that my body's going to shake out however it's going to shake out. You know, like it's thousands of years of evolution. And having had a chronic illness that made me lose a ton of weight very quickly, I've come to realize that weight loss is a lot more complicated than we know. It's not simply calories in versus calories out. There's a lot of hormonal things that happen. There's a lot of genetics that happen. There's a factor that age plays. And there's been a couple new studies on metabolism that have come out. I think Prevention Magazine just put out an article very recently on some of the myths that we have been taught or the science has changed around the way that we measure things. So I say the folks who are coming to me thinking that yoga is going to be a weight loss, I always say to them, why don't you come to class, just move your body for the sake of moving your body and see what happens. So movement is life. Movement is lotion for your joints and your body and it keeps you limber and it keeps you feeling good. Let's focus on those parts of it as the primary goal. And then if weight loss happens, then that just happens to be part of the equation. But come to the class for just the sheer joy of the movement. Because if you put a specific goal like weight loss, then it's going to become a chore, right? Like for those of us who have been in that kind of space where weight loss has been the primary goal for movement, it's never sustainable right? And it has to be much bigger than that. And I tell people that. And the philosophy behind yoga isn't weight loss, isn't body beautiful. It's mind beautiful. It's humanity beautiful is the focus of yoga. So I tell people, we don't look to be burning calories on the yoga mat. We look to be making peace with our bodies on the yoga mat because everywhere else in the world, you're told you're not good enough. You're too fat. You're too this. You're too that. You're too whatever. Here on the yoga mat is your cease fire zone. This is the place where you're making peace with yourself and you're moving for the sheer joy of movement. And I will say to people as we're moving through the practice, this is great for hip mobility. This is great for shoulder strength. This is great for balance. And these are all things that we can take off of our mat and into the world that helps us move through the world with more confidence and more success. And those are the things we want to focus on and not so much, you know, what our bodies look like. and like I said, if weight loss happens as a result of you being a part of joyful, mindful movement, then good for you. I know everybody has different goals when they come to the gym, but I tell them this is the space for which I operate. And if that speaks to you, then great. And if it doesn't, there's lots of other modalities out there that can help you find what you're looking for. Absolutely. And I really like how you say it has to be sustainable, right? I think when anybody has health goals, whatever it is, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, and you don't, you're not going to stick to it. And it's not going to be your lifestyle. It's about creating a healthy lifestyle and habits that you actually like and enjoy that are good for you. Absolutely. I always say in my Pilates classes, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Yes. Why my playlist is what it is, why I tell the stories I tell, why we do the things we do. And in my Pilates class, I invite people to count with me as we're counting through, you know, the repetitions of the exercise, because that creates community. People think it's funny. I crack jokes, you know, and I tell people why I'm there. I'm there to get stronger and I'm here to be happier. And those are my goals 
like I'm 52. I'm past trying to squeeze into a size, whatever. And I'm past trying to look skinny. Like I'm past all of that. I'm here to be strong and I'm here to move through the rest or the second half of my life, thank you to the podcast, with much more ease, right? And that's part of what movement and and exercise does for me. It creates more ease in the other parts of my life. I love that you're so body positive and you really encourage people to love where they are in their skin. And why do you think right now, especially in society where social media is altered and filtered and we only see the highlight reel, why do you think it's so important to be encouraging more of, you know, overall, like feeling happy and healthy and promoting more strength and confidence versus looking a certain way. Because we have been chasing that skinny aesthetic for as long as I've been alive, right? Like I don't remember my mother not dieting. I don't remember my mother not being disappointed with her body. I don't remember anybody going on a diet, losing a bunch of weight and not gaining it back. Because as we know, statistics and the research bears it out that, you know, 98% of people who go on a diet will eventually gain that weight back and in some situations more. And the two people who keep that weight off tend to be outliers. So if we don't have that as the focus, and we have the focus of, you know, feeling good in our bodies, then this is the new paradigm, right? Because we've been doing that other thing for decades, and it hasn't been successful. If there was one diet that worked, we'd all be on it, we'd all be skinny, and that would be the end of it. There's so many things that impact the size of your body and genetics being a big one, ancestry being another one, hormones being another one. And a lot of information we get around calories in and calories out also comes from a very privileged place in the world. People don't all have the same access to food. People don't have all the same access to certain things that can help us look a certain way. And so We need to be realistic about that. We need to turn the diet and fitness industry on its ear and have a more sustainable focus of let's help people overall feel better in their bodies. And once we overall feel better, whatever needs to change will change. And so that is what I've come to understand. Like I follow a ultra marathoner. Her name is Mervina Valerio. And she has been running ultra marathons forever. She's now into biking. I noticed I follow her a lot. And she's a plus size ultra marathoner. And she loves it. She was on the front of running magazine, Runner's World magazine. So we want to see fitness as all kinds of shapes and sizes. Just because you're in a bigger body doesn't mean you're not fit. And there's evidence and research to show that people who are in a larger body actually have a longer lifespan than people who aren't in larger bodies. And when we see somebody in a smaller body, we don't necessarily know what's going on with them, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know if they're actually healthy. (laughs) Exactly. Just because you're thin doesn't mean you're healthy. And just because you're fat doesn't mean you're unhealthy. And so these are things that we need to consider in the fitness spaces that fitness, like fit bodies and healthy bodies and happy bodies come in all kinds of sizes. So why not represent that in the fitness culture? You know, what my markers of success for me are, what's my heart rate look like? You know, am I fighting off heart disease, which runs throughout my family? A lot of people in my family get type 2 diabetes. These are things that I'm not interested in pursuing in the second half of my life. And I know that exercise, joyful, mindful movement, intentional movement has a lot of benefits in keeping heart disease at bay and keeping type 2 diabetes at bay. And those are the focuses I want to to focus on. I'm not interested in squeezing into a certain size of jeans or yoga pants. Those days are over. I'll just buy the bigger size. I'm good with that. As long as I feel good and I have those traditional markers of health, weight is not a marker of health. 
Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with the the crash diets and the different fads. I'm just more about, you know, creating sustainable habits that will make you feel good, give you that vitality, finding supplements that support your goals because everybody has different goals, right? And how they want to feel and how they want to live inside their own bodies. So I love that you said that. I think it should be more accepting for how everybody looks and how they want to look and how they want to feel. So I just love that you're very supportive of that, especially on your social media channels, which I really want to dive into. I know that we could talk about yoga, fitness forever, but I actually want to shift gears and start talking about your social media because obviously you talk a lot about um, body positivity on your social media. You talk about yoga. But one of the things that I love most about your content is that you also share a lot of things that are very educational and you use your platforms to enlighten people of truth of not only our history, but also our present day events. And specifically with equality, the oppression of people of color, white supremacy. Yes. And as a Caucasian person myself, and I know we've had these conversations before. (laughs) Yes. Why do you think that the information you deliver can sometimes be so hard for white people people to hear? hear? Yeah, especially white people, right? And I know for myself and my personal experiences, like, I've learned so much. I want to continue to educate myself, but this wasn't initially easy at first. Oh, for sure. And initially, like I too have felt very defensive when I hear racism, white supremacy, because my mind instantly goes to, you know, American history X and, right, you know, like Nazi skinheads. And I'm like, oh my God. So why do you think, yeah, it can be so hard for white people to hear some of what you share? Well, I think because history has lied to all of us, like white people, brown people, black people, everybody. History has lied to all of us because history is often told from the perspective of the victor and never the vanquished, right? And so there has been a system set up in the world that tells us that some people deserve more based on their skin color. And this is something that is interwoven into education into fashion, into social media. There's this underlying idea that white is normal and everything else is other. Instead of we all are part of a spectrum, like we're all part of the same energy. There's this idea that has been, you know, propagated since forever around this idea that white is normal and everything else is other. And so in order for us to understand, this is a whole conversation and a whole podcast in and about itself. So I'm going to try to encapsulate that. White folks want to believe that the benefits and privileges that they have in their lives is because they are good people and because they have earned that. People want to believe that. And that's okay to want to believe that, but it doesn't happen to be the truth, right? For a lot of folks, that a lot of us get a head start and on those kinds of you know, privileges that you get a head start based on your color. And when I point out the truth to people, they sometimes feel either bad or some kind of way, or they've been taught that white supremacy looks like the KKK running around or skinheads running around or the alt-right pushing ridiculous ideas about people of color and all that. And you have been trained to believe that. So when you see something that counters your belief of who you are, of course, you're going to get defensive. Of course, you're going to get upset. But what changes for you, Tara, and which I appreciate about you is that you sit with it and you go, okay, I'm triggered by this. Okay, I'm angry about this. Okay, I'm defensive about this. But let me unpack that for a minute. Why am I triggered by this? Why am I defensive about this? Why am I angry about this? Because somewhere in the back of my mind, I know that part of this might be true. 
I love the way that you said that it's interwoven because I think into everything, everything. Yeah. yeah. To kind of like clarify even more of what you're saying. So nobody is coming out and saying, oh, because you're white, you have this or that. Like it's in the ads that we see. It's in the movies that we see. It's in the educators that educate us. And when you start diving deep, I'm currently reading a book called White Fragility and I highly oh, yeah. recommend it because it does kind of Robin D'Angelo. Yeah, it peels that onion of these things that we have just always been used to and how it is very indiscreet messaging by not showcasing people of colors or minorities when it's all that you see. So I love that you use that word interwoven because it's I think, everything. yeah, I think white people can be defensive and be like, well, nobody said that. And it's right. nobody is saying it, but it's what we see. It's the it's way we life. view the world. Yes, without in a very eerily undertoned unsuspecting way it's insidious right like when was it that you opened a magazine and flipped through all the pages when did you notice that everybody was white and for lots of white folks never right because you always see yourself represented when something is created in society it's created for you first and then black and brown folks people with disabilities people from the lgbtqia community, we're a second thought when these things are created. Or a feature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or people get called out on not creating something that is equitable where everybody can see themselves and then they'll pick one person to represent everybody else. And that's tokenism, right? So it's insidious. So when white supremacy was designed and developed, think of it as rain. We were all outside playing together and it rained down on all of us because black people participate in white supremacy, you know, brown folks, because we've been trained. When we go to school, we only learn about European history, right? We don't learn about, you know, how black and brown folks have contributed to the civilization we now understand today. We don't learn where mathematics comes from. We don't learn that the other part of the world had their own civilizations before colonizers showed up, killed a bunch of people, stole, you know, whatever they had that they could steal from them, and tried to tell these folks that you weren't civilized. We came to civilize you, or we discovered this country. How can you discover something when people already live on it? And then you show up and murder everybody on it and take what everything that they have and then say that you created it. And that's something that has been going on for since the beginning of time. And it's something that we've learned as the truth of history, right? And so when we learn these ideas, it takes a long time to unpack them, right? I say that to folks who are also, you know, having a hard time making peace with their bodies. For the majority of your life, you've been told one thing, and it turns out that it's not true. So it's going to take you the majority of the same amount of time to unpack that stuff. And you have to be willing and you have to sit with it. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it hurts. Like I just found out about how Yosemite was named and how, you know, settlers and colonizers came and killed all the indigenous people at Yosemite during the gold rush. I learned that today. You know what I mean? There's lots of things that I'm like, oh, wow. I have a minor in history and I didn't learn any of this stuff. And I paid a lot of money for that damn degree. So I need to go back and unpack some of the things I learned through traditional education, which was created by white folks. White folks created the curriculum that we all learn. So of course, you want to create a curriculum that makes you look good, that doesn't talk about the horrible things that happened on the way to colonization. And until we all come to terms with that and learn the truth of history, we can't ever really unpack white supremacy. Right. And this leads to my next question, which is how do you think we can start 
effectively breaking down these barriers so that people don't take this information, this history, the truth as a personal attack rather than resources to educate and evoke change. It's true. And the first thing I ask people, and this is what my yoga practice has taught me, the minute you see something that upsets you and you're getting defensive and you're activated or triggered by this thing, pause, okay? Because this is what we do in yoga, pause. Return to your body because the first thing you do is you fly into your head or you have an out-of-body experience or you get really angry, you, like your emotions take over. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to acknowledge that's what's happening. So root down through your feet, take a couple of deep breaths and ask yourself, why am I activated, triggered or angry about this? And then unpack why you're angry about this and ask yourself, does this resonate with who I am? Is this the truth of my experience? Where did I learn this, right? You did not learn this all by yourself. This is something that's been going on for generations and hundreds of years. We're only now starting to unpack it. So instead of feeling bad about your privilege or feeling bad that you believe this thing that you thought was true, start to unpack it, start to go like, huh, where did I learn this? Or if I have a bias or a prejudice against a group of people, ask yourself, is it based on a personal situation or interaction I've had with a person of that ethnicity? Is it based on what I see on the news? Is it based on what I read in the paper? Is it based on what my friends and family are saying? Is it actually based in truth? And if it isn't, start to learn about other cultures, start to diversify your friend group, start to read books like you're reading, you know, White Fragility by Dr. D'Angelo. There's lots of books out there that can help you unpack what you've been learned and change your colonized mindset. So a lot of the mindset we have has been taught to us by colonization. And we know that colonization has put brown and black folks at a disadvantage, right? And so we have to learn about that in order to change it. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to suck, and it's going to be triggering. But this is the work that makes a better world for all of us. And what makes me happy is the world is changing, not nearly fast enough, in my opinion, but the world is changing and our kids are going to school with all kinds of cultures and identities of folks. So they're learning folk firsthand that the lies, myths or stereotypes we've learned about people aren't necessarily true. And one thing about unlearning racism or bigotry is it's a practice. Like I used to bite my nails when I was a kid. And my mother would put like all kinds of stuff on my nails to stop me from biting my nails. So I liken it to unlearning a bad habit. So every time I was biting my nails, I had to make the connection that my hands were going into my mouth to bite my nails. So it's the same kind of being aware. Ooh, I had a thought about this person. Why do I have a thought about this person? Is it true? Of course, it's not true. And look for examples that will unpack that lie for you. So if you hear that all Black people are stupid, and I'm just making general things that I've heard in my life, we've had some of the best inventions in the world created by Black people. Black women hold the most PhDs in the entire world. Like you can look up stuff that will tell you that these stereotypes you hear about people aren't true. All black people are poor. Well, that's not true. We've seen lots of black and brown folks who've managed to, you know, have uh, wealth and, and are able to sustain wealth. So we have to look for examples that fly in the face of the stereotype in order to unpack that for ourselves. And that's part of it. And it's okay to be in your feelings and it's okay to get angry and all those things. But what's not okay is to lash out through that anger. Sit with it unpack it, ask yourself why you feel the ways you do and ask yourself what you can do to change that. 
And one of those things is educating yourself. And the beauty is anti-racist activists and people who've been interested in equity have been putting together resources online for free for decades. So this is something that you can do for yourself. You can even take like courses at the University of Alberta around indigenous history so we can learn about how Canada actually came to be. And when you see, you know, stories in the news where we're unmasked, you know, there's all these unmarked graves of indigenous children who were part of the residential school system. Learn about that, right? Learn about that. Learn about the truth of our history. And you don't have to feel guilty about it, but we can learn about that so that we see how these other systems are put in place to keep some people at a disadvantage and to give other people the advantage. And then we can start to work to unpack that. But we have to do self-study first. Yeah. Or even, you know, we have so much access, like even just your account. So if you don't follow Diane Bonnie, go follow her. You share such amazing content. And I love how you share a lot of other creators' content. It's not always just yours. You're always repurposing because I think there's so much opportunity and value in learning from others. Totally. So I recommend everybody go and follow you. It's a great place to start Thank you. and doing that work. And I love that you say just unpacking it, because if we do want to create this, we all say it like we all want equality yep. and we want everybody to feel good and we want everybody mm-hmm. to succeed. Like it's one thing to say it, but it's another it's thing another to thing understand to it. why it's yeah. not, why yeah. we're not there yet. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that you're the root of the problem, but we're, we're all a part of the problem. We all have work to do. So it's true. We all do have work to do. All of us, right? All of us have work to do. And some of us have more work to do than others. But it's a lifelong practice. It's like anything else that's worth fighting for. You have to put in the time and the effort. And it starts with looking at yourself first. Yeah. And sometimes it's it's hard to look at yourself. Yeah, I will be the first to admit that I have been in that boat and been felt super defensive. But you know, I think when you say you have to unpack it, you have to sit with it, you know, that's when real change comes. That's when you really start to learn and you see things more clearly. So, and I love how that is all evolved with everything that you do with your yoga and your social media. It's all the same. I don't know. I just love you so much. <laughs> and we <laughs> could, back I know I'm going to have to have you like come back on another podcast because I don't want to go for too long. But I know we've just scratched the surface of some of the things that you do, but let's talk about other things you offer the community because I know you also have a podcast. You do speaking gigs. You even offer retreats from time to time. What are you currently working on and where can people find you? You can find me on my website at diambondyyoga.com. Everything that I do is on there. You get access to my books. I have a online application or app which is yogaforeveryone.tv. So if you want to practice with me and we're not in the same town or city, or if you're not a member of places where we teach, you can check me out there. I'm actually headed next week out to Soul Fest, which is a yoga festival sponsored by the Yoga Alliance. And we are out October 1st. We're out in Brooklyn, I believe. And we're doing a whole yoga thing. You can come and check me out. I'm doing a meet and greet at 8.30. And then I'm teaching a yoga for all class. And I travel quite a bit. My next retreat isn't until 2023. We just got back from Iceland a few weeks ago. And that was the bomb. But you can see all the things that I'm doing, including having access to Yoga for All TV and my podcast, which is the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast on my website, diambondyyoga.com. And of course, I have a problem with Instagram. And I love that platform. So I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. Not really good with Twitter. You know, I just sometimes go on there to read the news and then move on because Twitter's 
beyond my comfort zone. Twitter can be but, a scary place. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's scary. Let's just say that. Twitter can be a really scary place. So you can connect with me on social media, Diane Bondi Yoga Official on Facebook and on Instagram and on TikTok. But everything that you want to know or get connected with is on dianebondyyoga.com. Yes, and I highly suggest if you have not heard of her, go check her out. Her message is beautiful. Everything Thank she stands you. for is wonderful. I absolutely adore you and your energy. And I'm just so glad that life has brought you into my path. Oh, right back at you. And I ask every guest the same question at the end of my interviews. And I probably, I swear, I could have this podcast go for two hours. I might just have to have you back where we can dive deeper. But at the end of all my interviews, I always ask my guest, Diane, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? It's going to be okay. Oh, take a deep breath in. I know you're upset. I know this feels like the end of the world. And I know it feels like you're never going to get past this. But trust me, you are. And life is beautiful on the other side. So please, please, please trust me when I say it does get better. And this too will pass, (laughs) as my mother says. And what advice would you give to somebody who is trying to find their purpose? Like you're an entrepreneur, you wear tons of hats, like you live your life following your heart and going with your intention or your intuition. What would you say to somebody who feels like they have a purpose and they want to go off that unconventional path? What advice would you give them? Do it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Yes. Yeah. Hell yes. Do it anyway. Yeah. That's one thing my mother taught me right from the beginning because she emigrated from Barbados to England when she was like 17. 17. I have a 17 year old son and he can't even hang up the bath mat in the bathroom. <laughs> I can't imagine him leaving Canada and going to a whole different culture, right? And starting from scratch. So I know it seems scary and I know it feels overwhelming, but do your research. Take a deep breath in and go for it. If COVID has taught me anything at all, we don't know how the world's going to turn out. We don't know when we're going to be pausing for two years at a time. So I'm now in like ticking things off my bucket list, right? And one of those was going to Iceland. That was definitely on my bucket list. But I'm ticking things off on my bucket list because if not now, then when, right? I love that. Feel the fear and do do it anyway. anyway. Oh my God. Diane Bonnie, I absolutely adore you. Make sure you go and check out her content. It is so valuable for everyone. <laughs> Everybody should be following your work. Thank you so much for coming on Better in the Second Half podcast. I know this won't be your first time because I feel <laughs> like that was just like a light, like, okay, wait. <laughs> yeah, we're going to come back for a deeper dive and oh. you'll come back to the Intentional Wellbeing podcast. Yeah. Well, yuck it up. Yeah. Yes, don't forget to go check out her podcast as well. I'm obviously going to leave all of her links in the show notes so you can find her absorb all of her knowledge and just take in some of those good vibes because you really do represent so much beauty and more important truth, the things that people may not necessarily want to hear, but what people need to hear. And I just respect that so much about you. So thank you so much for being on Better in the Second Half podcast. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you in spin class, honey. Spinarella brought down one time. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. <laughs>